Hello and welcome to the One Thing Podcast brought to you by the Horton Group. We're at the Horton Group. We specialize in insurance, employee benefits, and risk advisory. I'm your host, Jason Helper. We are excited today to have a guest and a client of ours, President and CEO of IARF, Josh Evans. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well, Jason. I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Happy to. So while the birthdays of Washington and Lincoln have been celebrated for generations in this country, uh, 1971 marked the first time, the first year for that matter, where as a country we celebrated President's Day as a whole. So did you do anything to celebrate the great President's Day? I did. Uh, part of the day, uh, I, I unfortunately didn't realize was a uh, holiday, and so I worked part of the day. Uh, but then when I did, thankful for the leadership of those presidents and followed up by uh, doing some some uh, some honeydew lists, I guess we'll call it, around the house to, to prep for the spring. How about you? Well, good. Yeah. So I, I have kids, too, as you know. And so the kids were home, obviously, and I spent some time with them. The weather was pretty good. Now, the, the yeah. weather's going to wash away most of the snow and until we get some more. But all in all, it was pretty good. And so thanks for indulging me with the, the question. But I think, I believe that most people are familiar with IR and most people are familiar with you. But for those people that aren't, what's the one thing people need to know about IRF? Well, I think the one thing is, is the entire history of the organization since it was founded in 1973 is our sole reason for being is to advocate to improve disability services for children and adults with developmental disabilities in Illinois. From the very first budget we worked on as an association up until the work we're doing today, it's been all about what can we do as a trade association to ensure that the voice of our not-for-profit service providers is a part of the broader discussion about services and supports. And that's what we probably want anybody to know. That's what we're here to do, and that's what we'll continue to do. Well, it's uh, quite an important mission, quite an important agency you're running there. And um, I don't even know if I know this. Uh, I might, but if I did, I forgot. I apologize. How did you come to have your role here? So uh, basically, when I was in grad school uh, in the early aughts, um, I was uh, in a course where a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Randy Witter came and presented to one of our uh, courses. And, you know, I had a thought I had an idea of what um, a lobbyist did before that presentation. But I got a I got a clear sense of uh, some of the amazing work that uh, lobbying or the third house can do in advancing interests. And so I ended up interning with with Randy Winter. And uh, one of the clients at the time was IARF, the Illinois Association of Rehabilitation Facilities. And as an intern, uh, that, that association was part of my portfolio. So I, I got a, a, a 30,000 foot level introduction to the issues that the organization faced. Uh, and when that internship was done, I was brought on as a, as a legislative liaison with the association. And for the better part of the 2000s, I did a lot of work in that space for the association until uh, 2018 um, when I when I took on this role. So I, I didn't come at it from a direct service perspective. Mm -hmm. I didn't come at it working in uh, the not-for-profit uh, provider space. I more came at it um, from a understanding what the statewide advocacy issues were that faced uh, disability service providers. And that really caught my attention. And I wanted to, to try to do more to advance the mission of the association and the, the excellent work of our nonprofits. Is that still what gives you, gives you passion every day? I would say so. You know, uh, I came from doing advocacy. Uh, I'm, I'm a little less engaged in that now in my current role. And we have an exceptional 
exceptional group of vice presidents that work on policy and advocacy within the association. But I nudge my way in a little bit whenever I can. I guess it's fully pulled the position right. But um, no, uh, mostly, you know, I think it's it's advocacy in a different perspective. It's looking at the training and education that we offer to our members now. It's connecting with our executive directors and CEOs of our associations and, you know, understanding what their needs are outside of uh, government relations. You know, I think that's what's exciting about the job now. And, and uh, you know, it brings a different uh, dynamic to the position. And I'm excited to do that as well. Sure. And maybe we'll get more into the training and development pieces as we move through the podcast. But I think are you Olympics fan, Josh, did you get to watch them at all? Not nearly as much as I was hoping to. Uh, and I don't know if it's the time or if it's the fact that my uh, children dominate the TV when it's available during normal hours. I would say I've probably watched a lot more Coco Melon, uh, Masha the Bear than I have uh, at the Olympics. But when I have, you know, I try to try to see the skiing events whenever I can. But, yeah, they're, they're pretty fun. Well, Encanto is pretty big in our house right now. I don't know if yeah, yeah. that's on, on your screen at all, but they keep singing that Bruno song. No, we don't talk about Bruno, Jason. Yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> you know, so the Olympics uh, just ended, just closed on Sunday. And as can be the case with some Olympics, there is some controversy, um, albeit with, with one of the countries doing something, right? It happens once in a while. But even amidst all the controversy, what I love about the Olympic Games is that in every game you're going to have these really cool success stories, Stories of togetherness, not only with the athletes, but with, with community, with, with country, and stories that are really, really uplifting. And that's what I take away from the games, you know, beside the competition and the, sure. your favorite events. But I, I really enjoy that. And so if you had to put on your Olympic analogy, what's the one thing going on right now at IRF that would bring a, a smile to the faces of the people? What's one Gosh. thing you want to share, like a success story that would – put a smile on people's faces, maybe like the Olympics did for people that are watching. I think, uh, first of all, I like the, the, the way you tie that in. Um, and, you know, I tend to share your viewpoint about the Olympics. Um, it's a competition that's at its core, uh, but I like to believe that celebrating the success of the athletes or the teams is what brings all the nations across the, uh, the world together towards common purpose. Um, and there's so much about whether it's our body politic in this own country Certainly on the foreign policy stage right now, there's there's some concerns um, over in uh, Eastern Europe. But mm -hmm. uh, I like that, you know, there, there are things that remind us of the good uh, in humanity, what connects us as human beings and, and social beings. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, I like to think that uh, even though you know, I have a great team that I get a chance to work with, we're a cog in the wheel uh, of what it goes into from soup to nuts, from trying to help. Uh, a child uh, or an adult with a developmental disability realize the American dream. Uh, that is what our member agencies are there to do. They're mission-based organizations to try to help in any way they can um, an individual or a family member help that individual um, live the American dream and feel a part of their community in as many ways as they possibly can. So a success story um, may seem mundane uh, to, your, to your average person. Uh, unless you dig a little bit deeper and then maybe you see it's a, you know, it's a young, a young adult that has uh, transitioned out of uh, high school and now is able to work so many hours a week in a job that they love. Um, sure. Your average person may not understand all the work that it takes from special education, potentially to direct support work uh, at a, from a provider agency. They may not understand all it takes to, to help that individual get to a point where they're potentially working independently 
mm-hmm. or with a job coach. And, and unless you were able to connect with that individual directly, you'll see that, that you know, getting that job may be the most important thing in that person's life. And achieving that level of success then reverberates to the, to the teachers, to the direct support staff, to the QIDPs, to the executive directors. That is what is at the essence of what I think our member agencies do. Um, and that is what lifts us all up from, from you know, where I sit as a small cog in the wheel in the process, you know, all the way up to where, you know, the quality of service exists with direct support professionals, getting a job, somebody living with other housemates or living on their own in an apartment. There's so much that can go into that when someone may have a developmental disability or some comorbid med, uh, medical mm-hmm. conditions. There's so much that goes into that. Um, and so when we get a chance to talk about what providers do, it's great because then they're able to peel back the onion. Uh, if you want to use a Shrek analogy, since we're talking about <laughs> uh, onions have layers, there's so mm-hmm. many layers that go to helping somebody achieve success. Um, and, and it's great when we get to tell those stories. And I would say, you know, that's what it's all about. We talk here at the association about state budget numbers, about state budget policy. But at the end of the day for us, it's what, what does that translate into helping an organization help somebody achieve their own individual dream and success, which is what we're all trying to do here in this country. Uh, but that is what they do. And so we like to think, you know, what's it for us? What are we doing to remove barriers to help our members succeed? Yep. You know, what are we doing to help ensure that they get the resource that they need? Because that's where the attention needs to be, the success of the individual living on their own getting a job in their community, connecting with colleagues and friends. That's what it's all about for us too. And that's what it's all about for our members. Yeah, I, I love that. And we're, we're fortunate enough to be, you know, partners with a lot of IDD agencies. And there are countless numbers of stories or countless examples where you have an individual now that does, is able to work on their own and live on their own and enjoy a lot of the same luxuries, right? Let's call them luxuries that, that everybody else would. And it's it's wonderful that there's so many agencies in Illinois that fight so hard for that, right? To your point, from the DSPs to the executive directors. And I just love it. And I love the fact that I like to call a lot of our IDD agencies, and yourself included, our North Star, right? Let's not lose sight of what's really important. And I love that about the, the industry. And it's it's a reason why I, I tend to pay so much attention to it and, and put so much work into it. And I think one thing that your agency does well, and you highlighted it before, amongst other things, is training and development. And I, I don't want to lose sight of that, too, because there are a lot of really talented individuals that work within the space. But there are a lot of people that receive services from a training and development standpoint. So can you expand a little bit about that? I'm only bringing it up because you shared you know, some of the things that you're proud of with your agency are the training and development programs and services that you provide. Anything you want the listeners to know about that? So it's something that we, we look at closely and has changed over time. Um, like many things, we can't be static in terms of what we understand or think we understand of what, uh, about what our not-for-profit members need. Um, we have to check in with them like any group would. And we know that uh, there are some things that you know our members are always going to need in some respects uh, uh, because maybe their certifications require continuing education. But you know, we also know that you know, the pandemic has left an indelible impact everybody's lives in this world, uh, Mm -hmm. and and especially so in our own space, where we've had to shift over what our core missions have been, which is what is person-centeredness, what does this individual need to succeed towards health and safety as a a primary driver of what we do. And that's not something a lot of us are familiar with. You know, that's a a traditional healthcare approach to serving that we've had to get back into, and the pandemic's necessitated it. So, you know, I guess from that standpoint, one of the things that we, you know, we've been excited about 
positioning, I think, ourselves in this current calendar year to get back in some respects um, to some of that in-person activity, that networking, mm-hmm. uh, that connecting uh, uh, staff with similar responsibilities from across Illinois together to have some shared learning experiences. Um, and, you know, God willing and, and public health willing, we're going to be able to do that. Sure. Um, as, you know, because a lot of our agencies have, have towed the line doing what they needed to do from a public health and preventative standpoint. And so the things that I think that, uh, you know, we're excited about as we, as we look to this year and, and, and things are in play is, you know, we want to try to bring resources to our member agencies on uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Uh, you know, we want the, to ensure that agencies that want to make this as part of their core strategy and mm-hmm. as part of the culture of the organization, that they have the resources to do that. And we know not-for-profits, our own organization included, uh, you know, we're in different places on that. So we're sure. partnering with an exceptional group um, called United Front out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we're really looking forward to just rolling that out uh, to our member agencies. Uh, very excited about Okay. The other thing is, is we have a position of frontline supervisor that works in a lot of our organizations. And we recognize there are unique needs about that role uh, from a leadership standpoint. And we're really working hard on another partnership uh, with a national group that we hope to roll out this year, too, to uh, try to meet some of those self-identified needs from our frontline supervisors. Because, you know, what you'll pick up on, you know, we're, we're, we're working at, you know, cultural levels within our member organizations or missions within our organizations that are identified needs, but at various levels of identified need with the staff and our member agencies. We're trying to meet them where those needs are and provide those services to them. And I think it's something that actually um, Horton does extremely well as well. You know, we've been well, we've been very grateful to partner with you guys because you provide a lot of exceptional content, especially, I think, to our HR professionals, to our uh, chief financial officers, and they have a role to play in our member agencies, and they're very important as well. And we've been very thankful about the resources you guys have brought forward, also from a legal analysis perspective, too. Well, thanks. Uh, it's all been, you know, extremely helpful. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's kind of a, a nice pivot, if you will, into a different topic. And we've, I think while it's more enjoyable to talk about success stories, right? Things that are uplifting, things that are fun and, and positive, um, nonprofit agencies and for-profit agencies ourselves, right? We have big challenges in this environment, the pandemic being one, uh, employment being another one of those. And, you know, we're not absolved to those challenges. And I know nonprofits are not at all. They're hit very hard by this. And and so if, if I was going to ask you, you know, what's the one thing or the one big challenge you're working on right now, helping solve either for your own agency or for member agencies? I think I'll come at it from the member perspective first. And, you know, workforce, you know, has remained uh, the, the persistent challenge pre-pandemic exacerbated during the pandemic. You know, it is, you know, increasingly difficult uh, to, rec- to recruit and retain frontline staff. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, for the better part of this pandemic, we've tried to connect our members. They talk with one another. What are you trying from a benefits perspective, from a wage perspective, from a salary perspective? Uh, A lot of creativity in the not-for-profit space. I'm continually impressed um, with how uh, organizations make data-driven decisions, but are also willing to try new things, to, Mm -hmm. to engage with their staff, learn from them. What's important from you? We had organizations that have tried pet insurance um, uh, because it was an identified uh, uh, area that was important to some staff, you know, and not just your traditional sign-on bonus, although sure. that's been tried as well. So, we, you know, we've seen a lot of that and, and there's been success stories in that space. Um, uh, from from sort of one of the things that we do know, though, you know, and, and this is not just in Illinois, this is, you know, data-supported 
uh, with uh, provider agencies across the country is the first thing that we, we have to recognize as an issue is as you know, state dollar funded organization, not for profits, as federal Medicaid dollar supported not for profits. Um, you know, if we don't have a, a rich, uh, that was probably the wrong term to use. If we don't have an adequate reimbursement structure, um, then you know we can't handle number one, which is to offer competitive wages and benefits to right. staff. And our, our ability to do that is directly tied to what the state wants to invest in the service, right? What federal Congress Medicaid wants to invest in our right. service. Right. So our number one challenge and our number one hit thing right now is to continue to convey to our Illinois General Assembly, to Congress, we need you to allocate dollars for these purposes. And if you do that and you do it on a year over year basis, and you do it adequately, I promise you, we will be able to grow capacity, serve more individuals mm-hmm. off the waiting list, enrich the services that folks are currently getting. Those are ongoing costs. They're never going to go away. That's part of the structure that we have in our social safety data, yet we have to continually remind, you know, lawmakers of commitments that are made legally, regulatorily, and, and morally. And, and that can be difficult because there are high costs associated with that, but it, it's it's part of the game you're in. When you make a commitment uh, to help uplift all members of society, then you have to continue to meet that commitment. It's not just, you know, invest a few dollars here, wait right. 10 years. Not a one-time money. thing, right? To the credit of the General Assembly, since 2018, I think they've recognized that and they've started putting dollars into our disability service array. And now just starting um, last year or the current fiscal year, we're, we're working under a rate study that has told Illinois, this is where your, your rates need to be at, you know, if you're going to want to achieve what you want to achieve as a service array. And so that's, that's an uphill battle and we're in it right now. And, you know, battle is probably not the fair term to use because there's a lot of support in the General Assembly. There are many legislators that come to Springfield wanting to focus on improving Illinois social safety net. And, you know, it's been an honor to work with a lot of them and we'll continue to do that. I think the Pritzker administration is geared towards that as well. So our it thing is, you know, how do we try to get dollars flowing into the system? How do we remove barriers? Yeah. And I think it's, when I think when you share the word battle, I don't think of an us versus them. I I think about it and try to solve a problem, right? I think we're all in this together to try to solve a a large issue, large challenge right now. And you've outlined it very eloquently. And, you know, I remember talking about the pet insurance, just because you brought it up, not because I'm an insurance guy, but, you know, Ben Stortz from the CEO from Cornerstone, a good friend of ours as well, he's as focused as how to make people's lives, his own employees' lives, staff, as good at home as they are in the agency when they're at work, right? So he knows that when, when you go home from work, you have a family to care for. How do we make your life better at home in addition to being better at work. And to your point about being creative, data-driven, yes, but there's also a feeling, right? There's also, hey, let's do what's right by the individuals. But to your point, Josh, that also comes at a financial cost. Right? And so these things do do add up. And so I appreciate you, you sharing that. Um, anything else? Just, you know, Ben is, uh, you know, Ben's a, an excellent leader, I think, of his organization. And you know, I think what he is doing there and what he talked with you about, uh, you know, I think is uh, indicative of a lot of leadership in the not-for-profit space that, um, you know, is humbling in a lot of ways. Um, there are a lot of organizations that, you know, I guess you could say talk the talk about investing in their employees, uh, about trying to speak with them, understand what their needs are. And then you got a lot of not-for-profits that are trying to do that, sure. um, you know, have been doing that. And I think, you know, that's just, it's, 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 it's humbling to be, you know, a part of that and to know uh, leaders and social services that are that are engaged at that level. 
Um, and I, you know, I expect it's something that will continue. And I expect that, you know, perhaps in the for-profit space, that's something you can learn from non-for-profits. It's not always the case. It's the other way around in a lot of respects. But yeah, 100%. I guess I, sort of, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% correct. I think the, the for-profit space, you've always had individuals and companies that are culture-centric, right? But yeah. I believe that the solution for a lot of for-profit entities was to throw money at the problem. Right. And that's not you can't no. reach in you can't reach in your bag and just throw more money at it. You know, so we do learn from our nonprofit brother and say, Hey, how are you looking at this? What has worked for you? What do people feel is important? And I think we at Horton are very culture centric and have been for a long time. And so I think that's probably why we appreciate the conversations. And we'll listen to to yourself and Ben and say, What are what are you guys doing? Huh, that's interesting. And so I appreciate you sharing that because it's it's, it's wildly important and it challenges probably an understatement, <laughs> but, but it certainly is. And there's a, keep it with the President's Day theme. Uh, John F. Kennedy once said, efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. So as the lead exec at IRF, who is certainly responsible for setting direction of your own, ag your own agency, what's the future look like? If you look through the lens of an executive director of an agency that touches a lot of people, a lot of members across the, the state, what's the future look like? And I guess, what are you most excited about? I think the future is optimistic. Um, you know, unfortunately, historically, you know, uh, you talk to my colleagues in this space 10 years or more ago, or even less than that, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot to be proud of. We were proud of our members, of the work they were doing, of the success stories we heard. But as a state that looks towards its service array, you know, we learn a consent decree. Uh, that's not a good place to be. But I'm optimistic about the future. I'm optimistic because uh, I believe we've turned the tide on a lot of the things that are important to return Illinois to a place of excellency, which we have been historically in services and supports for persons with disabilities. Um, I see that this uh, administration, Governor Pritzker and his team, has shown tremendous leadership in working with all stakeholders to address needs because not just they want to check things off a list, say we did that, say we did that. It's because they also recognize we need to grow. We need to return to a place of excellence. Our General Assembly has done that. Um, they appropriate dollars, but they also pass laws. That's that's what they do there. Um, and so they've passed policies. They've passed laws uh, engineered towards uh, evolving our service array, towards being responsive to what families say their needs are. Because generation, generationally, the needs are going to be different. The expectations mm -hmm. of families are different. And so I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic due to the leadership that our administration has shown, due to investments from the General Assembly, due to the leadership within our own not-for-profits in Illinois, uh, because of the diverse backgrounds uh, and the types of services that they represent. I, I believe that if we continue on some of the trajectories that we're seeing both fiscally from, from uh, government investment, but from an ideas perspective, uh, some that you just mentioned about how we think about uh, employees and how we invest in them, you know, I think we're on the cusp, uh, assuming, you know, pandemic wise, we continue in a positive trajectory to mm -hmm. where this pandemic becomes less deadly and its variants. Um, we can return stronger than where we, we came into this pandemic. And, you know, I remain optimistic because we've got, you know, we've got great leadership. We've got great partners in Horton that are connecting uh, our members uh, and providing exceptional resources. And so I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Our service array is going to continually improve. We're going to expand services we can provide folks and that, you know, one day when I, I get to go around and, and talk to some of my colleagues in other states, they're going to be like, wow, Illinois, you guys are doing it right. You know, and I think we're going to get there.
Well, good. Well, that's so. Think about think about that, and I think the optimism is great to have, especially when it's backed by substance, right? You have proof points and examples and things that are really, really working. And I don't know if there was such a sense of sense of optimism two years ago. I mean, when this pandemic hit, sure. you know, we talked to a lot of our clients, a lot of our friends, and there was major concern about the livelihood of a lot of agencies, mm-hmm. um, a lot of unknown. And again, we're not out of the woods yet, but I, I do believe that the nonprofit leaders in the community have stepped up. And I I thank God for them just for the, the work they have put into their agencies to stem the tide, to bring their employees through this healthy, to do whatever they could to protect every single last client or consumer. Oh, and by the way, put in new um, services, implement new services and programs along the way. So not only you deal with a pandemic and the healthcare issues that go along with that, and then the mental health challenges that we're also facing, you create new services, yep. right? So that's why I, I, I love the, I'm sorry? Tremendous resiliency in our oh, industry. It's phenomenal. And I, and I love the, not, not unbridled optimism, but optimism backed by a passion and backed by a sense of purpose. And I think that the nonprofit community, nonprofit space, and leaders of your of yourself are are really good reminders to the rest of us how to think and how to act. And so I sincerely, Josh, thank you for your time today. I thank you for your leadership. I think the whole state of Illinois thanks you for your leadership. And we appreciate your partnership as a friend and client of the Horton Group. You know, thank you for having me. It's an honor to do this, and we greatly appreciate the partnership with you guys. And uh, uh, future's bright, I hope. Absolutely. Well, that'll wrap up today. So until next time, thank you for joining the One Thing Podcast. Mm-hmm.